We know that 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's last written work. As this is being written, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. He knows his end is near. In fact, by the end of this book, he will have been beheaded by Emperor Nero for Paul's taking a stand for the gospel. Knowing that his life work is just about complete, he's making the handoff of the spiritual baton to his understudy, his spiritual son, Timothy, and literally to us through the generations. He's making this handoff, and you can see by the way he writes and uses words that he, a lot of his wording in 2 Timothy is very directive, and it's given with a keen sense of urgency. He wants the progress of the gospel to continue. We will see in just the two verses that we will cover today, verses 13 and 14, that Paul has two three-word directives, three-word imperatives for Timothy and for us. Retain the standard and guard the treasure. Retain the standard and guard the treasure. We will unpack the meaning and the application of those in just a few moments. Well, I think it's safe to say that most men, especially if you've come here this morning, most men carry some form of a wallet on their person at most times. And I would also think it's safe to say that most women carry some form of a trunk, I mean purse, when they come here to church. And probably inside that wallet or that trunk, that purse that is carried, there's probably some form of denominational currency that you have in there. Whether it be a $1 bill, a $5 bill, a 10, a 20, or maybe even a 50 or $100 bill, do you know that the Bureau of Engraving and Printing goes to great lengths to ensure the credibility of what you carry in your wallet and your purse? It literally is the treasure of the United States. But they go on to Take, they assure the credibility of not only the money that is in your wallet or your purse, but the 8 billion other denominational notes that are printed each and every year in our country. Of particular note, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing Police Department has the incredible task of taking care of guarding the treasure of the United States. In order to forestall counterfeiting, and all of the ills that go with that evil, the Bureau of Engraving Police Department, even though it's a very small department, that they are tasked with guarding the integrity of and the accountability of the actual printing plates, the patterns by which our money is printed, and they're also tasked with guarding the money that's printed on those plates, the U.S. Treasure. That is a keen responsibility that they bear. But aren't we thankful that our government goes to extensive lengths to guard and defend our currency, what money we use that is in our wallet or in our purse? Here's the point. The things that we value in life, the things that we value in life, we go to great lengths to guard and protect. 
The things that we value in life, we go to great lengths to guard and protect. And we'll see today in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that Paul is making that very point, but not about money. It's not about currency. It's not about dollars and cents. It's about the treasure of the Word of God. Paul is making the point that what we value in life, we should go to great lengths to guard and defend. Let's look what he says specifically in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll be reading first in verse 13. Paul writes to Timothy and to us, he says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. I hope that it's obvious here in the text that Paul is speaking about the primary importance of ensuring the accuracy of the interpretation, the teaching, the preaching, and the application of the Word of God. Notice the two imperatives he gives, retain the standard and guard the treasure. Retain the standard, know what you believe, guard the treasure, defend what you believe. Paul gives us these two imperatives. And he speaks specifically, calling it a treasure. And we interpret that meaning the most important thing that God offers us here now for our Christian living, the treasure. And it's not just in our estimation what Paul's speaking about here, about the treasure of the Word of God. It's just not our opinion how we value it. This is how God values His Word as well. In fact, throughout Scripture, God comments on the treasure, the value of his word. Here's what he says as a couple of examples. In Hebrews chapter 4, God says, His word is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, he says, The word of God is God-breathed, and it's profitable. You can get a profit from it. The very next verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, he says the word of God equips man and women for every good work. Romans 1.16, Paul said the gospel of Christ is the power of salvation. The word of God is the power of salvation to those who believe it and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's how valuable God says it is. In Psalm 119, he says the word of God is a lamp to our feet and it's a light to each of our paths. He had King David write in Psalm 19, he said this about the Word of God. He said, the Word of God is perfect. He said, the Word of God revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It causes the heart joy. It enlightens the eyes. It's more desirable than gold, more desirable than money. But God also says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, he says about the durability of the Word of God. It's more valuable than our money. And this is what he says about the Word of God in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. He says, your grass will wither, the flowers will fade, but the Word of God, hallelujah, the Word of God will last forever. That's valuable. God values His Word so much that He will make the Word of God last forever and ever and ever. God puts a value on the Word of God, on His own Word. This is His treasure. This is His gift 
to each one of us. And Paul says we should retain the standard of that word. We should know the word. We should guard God's treasure. We need to guard the treasure. Friends, what God values, we should value. And what we value in life, we should go to great lengths to guard it and to defend it as well. Notice also what it says in verse 13. Paul says that faith in and love for Christ Jesus should compel us to want to defend the Word of God. Paul's love for God and his love for Timothy compelled him, compelled him to want to teach the Word to Timothy, to entrust this treasure to Timothy, and to entrust it to him, keyword, accurately. That he would entrust the Word of God to Timothy accurately. And we should want to do the same. And the reason this is so important, that we entrust the Word of God to other people, that we know the Word of God so well, that we defend the truth that's written in the Scripture, the reason this is so important is because the Word of God is under attack. We're watching denominations literally crumble about their misinterpretation and misapplication of the Word of God because they're giving into the culture. And Satan knows that, and he's using it. And Satan himself is attacking the Word of God. You see, Satan understands what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the Word of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It, the Word of God, is the power of God for salvation. And Satan knows that. And he's trying to corrupt the truth. And he's pulling out this, all the stops to do it. And Satan knows what Paul said also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that the sacred scriptures are what give us the knowledge that leads us to salvation in Jesus Christ. Satan knows that, and so he's attacking the Word of God. Satan knows that the Word of God is able to equip men and women for every good work in life. And so Satan is attacking the Word of God. And we have a responsibility. Those of us who know the truth, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who are now entrusted with the gospel, we have a responsibility to retain the standard, know what we believe, and guard the treasure, defend that against those who would seek to trip us up. Satan would like no better than to complicate the Word of God, make it difficult to understand. It's not but he tries to make us think it is, that it's irrelevant, it's out of sync with the culture. It is not. All Scripture is inspired of God, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God will be equipped for every good work yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The Word of God will last forever, and we need to guard the truth, guard the treasure, and maybe we ask ourselves, well, okay, I, I get it. I get the imperative. Retain the standard and guard the treasure, but how specifically do we do that? Well, let's look at the text. If the Scripture is not that complicated, then it's really not. And Paul gives us some straightforward directives with a sense of urgency, and he does. Then we ought to apply those to our lives, and we will. And so let's look at the first one that he says. Paul says we should know the word. He says retain the standard of what you believe. Retain the standard of sound words. This word retain in the Greek 
This word retain is the same meaning that some of you have in your text that say hold fast. Hold fast to the sound teaching of the word. That's that idea of you're anchored with the word of God and you're not moving from your understanding of the truth. It's think of a, a large ship that has tossed its anchor over the side, which is now embedded in the sea, in the sea floor down below it, so that ship will no longer move. Think of a batter coming up to the plate, and you watch him with his spikes digging in, getting ready for the pitch from the opponent. He owns that plate, and he's digging in, and he's going to protect that plate. That's the picture that this word retain gives us in the Greek. We are digging in for the long haul. Paul suggests that someone is trying to steal from us the truth of the gospel. And so he says, dig in, hold fast, anchor yourself to what you know to be true. Do not move from it. There's a battle coming, or you're in the midst of a battle. Do not give in. Hold fast to what you know to be true. And it does take a special person to be able to do that somebody who's grounded in the Word. And Paul says it's somebody who's not tossed to and fro by every carried away, by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. We're not moved by the culture. We are anchored. We're holding fast. We are embedded. We are standing fast, retaining the standard of God's Word. But not only are we called to retain, hold fast, anchor ourselves, but he says we're to retain the standard of sound words. This word standard in the Greek gives us the, the impression of a blueprint. This is the pattern of teaching. This is the blueprint through which we look at Scripture. Paul had taught this to Timothy throughout his mentoring of Timothy. In fact, in the very next chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, this is the verse of spiritual reproduction. Paul says to Timothy, the things that you heard from me, the pattern, the blueprint, the teachings, Paul says the things that you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you think how that has played out. Paul's telling Timothy, teach the pattern of sound words, teach the blueprint of sound words, the doctrine of Scripture, teach that to other men who will be able to teach others also. And eventually, think of over the centuries how that came across the ocean, and eventually one day it came to me, and it came to you. And Paul says we are to retain the standard of what you learned, the standard of sound words, the blueprint of sound words. This is important, so important, and that's why your elders of this church have adopted a standard of sound words or a pattern or a blueprint of sound words. This is how we view Scripture. This is how we preach, teach, interpret, and apply Scripture. And when you do that, when you go by the standard that Paul has laid out that he's giving to Timothy, and is he giving the imperative to Timothy and to us to obey that standard, retain the standard of sound words, when you do that, it drives you to certain doctrinal positions that we take in this church. Let me illustrate. I have a copy here with me of 
the Emmanuel Bible Church Constitution and Bylaws. If you don't have a copy, let me encourage you somehow to pick one of these up. You'll get one when you go to the membership class. Hint, hint, become a member. But when you go to page three in the Constitution and Bylaws, you see Article 5, and that title is What We Teach. This is what we teach here at Emmanuel. It's the, it's the heading for our statement of faith. And before you get to the statement of faith, which lays out all of what we teach here and what we think doctrinally about what the Scripture teaches, and by the way, I will say, I've been, having been in the military, I've been in churches all around the country. Emmanuel Bible Church has the most definitive, the most, uh, the most clear statement of faith of any church I've ever been to. Everything we do here is based on the Scripture. All of our doctrinal principles are based on the Scripture. But before you get to what we teach, our statement of faith, we have a preamble to that to give you the pattern of sound words, the standard, the blueprint through which we view Scripture. It's what's called in a seminary term, the hermeneutic. It's how we interpret Scripture, which drives us to certain doctrinal positions that we take in our statement of faith. I want to explain the five of them to you really quickly so you understand. This is important. When we say we want to know the Word of God and we want to defend or guard the treasure, we need to know what are we knowing, what are we defending. And this is what we do. And so we say in our preamble of our statement of faith or what we teach, that we view Scripture in a, keyword normal sense. We view it in a normal sense. Can you put that list up? This should be the next slide. We view Scripture in a normal sense. By that means, we view the words of Scripture in the way that the author normally would have written them in. That we look at the words of Scripture, we take them at face value. This is what the author meant, And so this is how we read them and we interpret them that way. Not the way I like to interpret it, but the way that the author intended for those words to be interpreted in the normal sense. For instance, in the book of Genesis, we know that the author is Moses. He wrote the first five books of Scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. In the creation account, Moses uses a specific word to describe the six days, D-A-Y-S, the six days of creation. And he uses this word in the Hebrew, yom. We would pronounce it in English, Y-O-M, yom. That is the word for day. And so when Moses describes this word day, meaning there was a morning and there was an evening, we assume it to be there was a morning, evening, and then another morning, that's a 24-hour yom, a 24-hour day. We take that normally. We're not trying to read into Scripture something that is not there. And so when we look at the Scripture normally, look at the words of Scripture normally, it drives you to a certain doctrinal position about what we believe about the age of the earth and how long creation was. That's the lens through which, that's the pattern, the blueprint that we look at Scripture. Secondly, we say we look at the meaning of Scripture in a literal sense. The meaning of Scripture in a literal sense. We take it literally, what's on the page, what the author intended, unless it's obvious by context that it should be taken figuratively. We look at it literally rather than figuratively. Again, for example, we actually believe in the book of Genesis, that there was six literal 24-hour yoms, 24-hour days of creation, and that God 
took a rest to demonstrate what we should do as Sabbath rest on the seventh day. We take the meaning of that text to be literal. We actually take that. It's not an allegory. It's not a nice story. We think this is literally what had happened. We literally think there was an ark that's out there somewhere, and there was a great flood that actually came upon the earth. We actually believe that there was a virgin who gave birth to a baby in Bethlehem. We actually believe that. Literally, we take that. We believe in a literal birth of that baby in Bethlehem. We believe in a literal death of him, a literal resurrection of him, a literal ascension of him, and a literal second coming of the Savior of the world. We take things literal, the words of Scripture to mean literal, unless it dictates, the context dictates otherwise. Where would the context dictate otherwise? Well, let's say you go to a place like Isaiah 55, which is describing what the joy will be on earth during the millennial kingdom. And it says, even the trees will clap their hands. Well, this is not the Wizard of Oz. And we don't have any trees with arms and hands that can clap. And so we take this part of Scripture, not literally, but a figure of speech, which the author is describing. That means the joy will be so overwhelming here on earth that if the trees could have arms, they too would clap their hands. We take that as a figure of speech. We see this a few times in the book of Revelation, which we just finished an extensive study here at this church. Sometimes John, in his vision, is describing things that he's seeing futuristically. And he doesn't know what it is, but he says it looked like or it looked as. When you see those comparative words, then you say, well, that's probably not literally what he saw. That may actually be a bomb or a missile, an airplane, looking futuristically at what will happen in the future. And so we take things normally, we take things literally. Thirdly, we say we take things grammatically. That means we go to the rules of grammar for the original languages that the Scripture was written in. Probably if you've been educated in the United States and English is your first language, you're pretty familiar with some or not all of the rules of grammar. My wife questions my ability from time to time. But in general, in English, we have from your left to your right, we have the subject, verb, object, with some other probably parts of speech interspersed in that. But that's kind of a general rule that goes throughout the English language. When you get to Hebrew, it's almost the opposite. In fact, you go from your right to your left, and you're starting with the verb, then you go to the subject, and you have direct object with some parts of speech interspersed. But the rule is pretty much standard throughout. When you get to the New Testament, the Greek, kind of the rules go all out the window. And it's not all that easy to follow, but there are established rules of grammar. Here's the point. When we look and preach and teach and apply the Word of God, we are going by the grammatical rules of the Hebrew and the Greek to make sure we get it right. So I confess that before I even began putting together my message, I actually broke out my Greek and looked at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 in the Greek to make sure they were following the proper rules of grammar, and I understood the proper rules of grammar so that I could preach and teach and make application correctly across those rules. Fourthly, we say that we look at the Word of God historically. We look through the lens of history, knowing that there were 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years writing this text of Scripture that God had given them. It's all God-breathed. And when that author was writing, there were contextual things, societal things, 
going on all about them that they were keeping in their lens as they were writing those things. And we have got to understand what applies back then and what applies now, what has universal application or was only for that period of time. For instance, universal application that spans the Old Testament and New Testament probably would be the Ten Commandments. That what was written back in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, we say we would still apply those today in our lives. And today in the New Testament, even though it was written during Jesus and voiced during Jesus' period of time on earth, was the Great Commission that each one of us is still responsible to, we say that still has universal applications for all of us New Testament believers. But there are some things in Scripture that we look at and say, those things don't apply today to us. For instance, I don't think there's anything on the schedule today during our service where we will have some form of animal sacrifice of the old law of the Old Testament. And so we have to be careful that we're looking through the lens of historical significance as we're looking at Scripture. And finally, we say we look at the Scripture systematically. So as we study Scripture and make the application for our lives, we look at, for instance, what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Is what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 consistent with what he said in chapters 2 through 4? And is what he said in 2 Timothy consistent with what he said in 1 Timothy? And is what he said in 1 and 2 Timothy consistent with what he said throughout all of his epistles? And how about what Paul said? Is it consistent with what's taught in the New Testament? How about the New Testament? Is it consistent with what's taught with the Old Testament? Is all of the Scripture systematically connected? It is. And we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, inspired of him, and we apply it that way systematically with all of the Scripture in mind. Scripture does not conflict with Scripture. And so as elders and pastors in this church, this is the lens through which we look through. This is the pattern that Paul is speaking about that he gave to Timothy. Remember, retain the standard of sound words. Retain the pattern that you were taught. Don't deviate from it. This is the proper meaning, interpretation of the text of God and the application it should be to our lives. Timothy, Joyce, retain the standard of sound words. You see, we agree with the Apostle Paul. The reason that we teach the Scripture, he lays out in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, the reason we teach the, teach the Scripture is that we will all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He says, as a result of that, in verse 14 of Ephesians 4, he said, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. You see, retaining the standard of sound words should unify us as individuals in the body of Christ. It should anchor us, and it should mature us in our walk and our understanding of the Word of God. We need to retain the standard of sound words. But Paul also gives us the second directive, the second imperative. He says, guard the treasure in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 1. Guard the treasure. We need to be able to defend what we know to be true from this pattern, the standard of sound words. Can you defend the Word of God? Can you defend what you know to be true? 
Have you spent the time to know the Word of God so well that you can defend it against those that would seek to discredit it? Those that would give a different, not God-honoring interpretation of the Word. Can you guard the treasure that God has given you? We already said how much God values His Word. Can you guard that treasure? Can I guard that treasure? If you were to leave this morning and come out and see me by the welcome desk and you were to give me a quarter from my message, I'd say, well, thank you very much. I guess that's what you thought. I'd put it in my pocket. I'd probably go out the rest of my day really giving very little thought about where I went and what I did with that quarter. I might even forget about that quarter. But if you came out today and gave me $10,000 in cash, which I wouldn't mind, but if you gave me $10,000 in cash, I'm going to be very, very careful with that treasure that is now in my pocket. Where I go, what I do, who I interact with. Friends, we have the treasure of the Word of God with us all the time. How careful are we where, where we go, who we interact with, and what we do with the treasure that has been given to us. The primary role of our church, the primary role of this church, is laid out right in our mission statement. We're building believers to the glory of God, mature followers who seek Him constantly, serve Him faithfully, and share Him boldly. Embedded in that three points of our mission statement is that we would be able to know the Word of God well enough to serve those who desperately need to hear it with our lives that would be such that God, we're loving them enough to be able to boldly proclaim the truth to them and defend the truth of God's Word to them. Can we do that? We're called to hold fast, to guard the Word of God, to demonstrate the impact of the Word of God in our lives when we serve Him faithfully and also the impact of God's Word in our life that we will be willing to share Him boldly. If we think about it, the Great Commission still applies. Go therefore in the world, baptize, teach, make disciples, teach them to obey all that I commanded, Jesus said. That's our Great Commission, and it still applies. See, friends, if we, at one point in our lives, we entrusted our life to Christ, and if you're a believer, you've done that, then in turn, what he entrusted to us is the Word of God. And Paul says, guard the treasure. Paul said, I'm giving my life for this. Paul's sitting in a prison in Rome about to be beheaded for this. For this. He says, friends, guard the treasure. And God gives us the high task of literally guarding the treasure. We are his ambassadors here on earth. You'll receive power, he said in Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You will be my ambassadors. Here in Jerusalem, speaking to disciples. Judea, a little further out, Samaria, to the remotest part of Springfield. Here we are. But God also knows that the task will exceed our ability and our resources to accomplish it. He knows that. That's what Paul says. Make sure you do it. Look what it says in verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, the treasure. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit. We're not capable, as smart as we could possibly be, but the Word of God 
We're not capable because this is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle going on that is attacking from all angles. Satan is literally pulling out the stops to attack the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught this to his disciples in John chapter 16. He said, I'm going to go, but I'm sending you a helper. He said, the Holy Spirit, he said in verse 13 of John 16, will guide you into all the truth. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Our part is to know the Word of God. We're retaining the standard. But when we guard the treasure, we need the Holy Spirit. But we have the Holy Spirit. And now we have no excuse but to guard the treasure and defend the truth. We have no excuse. We've given our lives and trusted them to Christ. He, in turn, entrusted the gospel to us. He's counting on us, his ambassadors here on earth, with the power of the Holy Spirit to guard the truth. Well, anytime we look at the Word of God, I think we need to do three things. I think we make the observation, what does the text say? We've done that. We make the interpretation, what does it mean? We've looked at some of the Greek meanings of the words. Here comes the most important part, and then we make the application. What am I individually, what are we corporately supposed to do? Let's spend a few moments doing that. Also, anytime I think you look at the Word of God, I think it has application both for the believer and the unbeliever as well. Romans 1 says the unbeliever, they suppress the truth, which means they must be exposed to it, but they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness, which tells me that the Word of God, all of it, all 66 books, applies to the believer, but it also applies to the unbeliever as well. Let's, let's make the application for both this morning, and I'll start with the unbeliever. And friend, if you're here today and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you are what's called an unbeliever. You are outside of the family of faith. And the things that I spoke about this morning apply to you, but you don't really have the responsibility to do what I've asked both of us or the rest of us to do. Because it's retaining the standard, the pattern, the blueprint of sound words and guarding the treasure are only for the believers in Jesus Christ, but it requires you to have a relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit within you. If you're not a believer, you have neither. And so, friend, your job this morning is not one of retaining the standard or guarding the treasure. You have one word thing to do, just one job. You know what they say? You have just one job. And your job is surrender. Your job is surrender. Perhaps nobody ever told you before, but I'm going to tell you right now, because I love God's word and I love him and I actually love you. And I have no desire to see you separated from him for all of eternity. And so I'll tell you the truth. That if there's never been a time you put your faith and trust in Christ, you're living on borrowed time. And if you should pass today, the scripture is very clear that it's prepared a place for you. Separated God from all of eternity without any hope or recovery. And friend, how sad that would be. The word of God was written to equip me and your friends that are surrounding you here to compel us by the love of Christ, to compel us for the love of the Word, to compel us for the love to you, to tell you that there's a Savior, Jesus, who died for your sins. He paid a debt. He didn't even know your debt. You could never pay it, and he did. So, friend, your word, your single job is not to retain the standard, not to guard the treasure. Your, 
single job is to surrender your life to Christ. I invite you to do that today. What a great way to start the new year, 2018, as a believer in Jesus Christ. But secondly, I think the Word of God here has specific application for those of us who know Him. We're believers. Our first word that I would encourage you to think about is the word engage. We have a responsibility to engage with the gospel. Paul's equipping Timothy to retain the standard of sound words, to guard the treasure. We're not building a church with a moat around it, pulling up the drawbridge. No, we're laying the bridge out, laying multiple bridges out so we can go into the community and engage with the gospel. When we gave our lives to Christ, we entrusted our lives to Him. He, in turn, entrusted the gospel to us. But embedded within the gospel is the Great Commission. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Disciple. Teach, obey, teach them to obey. Baptize. We have an awesome responsibility to do that. We're retaining the standard. We're making sure we understand the Word of God. And then we're engaging the world with that. And we're teaching them accurately. And the second word I think we have for us, the application from this text today, is simply defend. We have a responsibility to defend, to guard the treasure, defend the truth of the gospel. I remember a conversation I had many, many years ago when my father was still alive. He was a career police officer in New York City. Had a conversation with my father about the whole subject of counterfeiting. I said, Dad, how do you and your fellow police officers in New York City, how do you possibly know all the different ways of counterfeiting, let's say a $20 bill, how could you possibly study all those different ways of doing that and to be able to determine, you know, what's a counterfeit bill? He said, it's simple, we don't. But we spend so much time studying the real McCoy that we study the front and the back, every square millimeter of that $20 bill, the genuine article. We spend so much time studying that, then when we see something that's counterfeit come across our desk, you can spot it right away. Friend, you and I have a responsibility to know the Word of God so well that we're able to guard the treasure, that we're retaining the standard of sound words, that we're spending so much time with God and what He considers a treasure, His Word, we know it so well, when we see a counterfeit, we can spot it, but we can also defend it. And friend, the attacks of Satan are coming more rapidly, and they're coming closer to where I live. In fact, it's so bold, perhaps it's happening in your neighborhood, that actually false teachers are now coming to your door. I look at that as an opportunity I see them coming down the driveway. My wife will look over at me. She goes, oh boy. And I go, here we go. But it is an opportunity. Most of them don't know any better. They've never been exposed to the standard, the blueprint of sound teaching of Scripture, systematic, normal, literal, grammatical, historical. They've never been exposed to that. And so they can't help themselves. They're teaching falsely. But you and I know better. We have a responsibility to defend the Word of God. I love what Paul writes a little later in the book of 2 Timothy. It's our key verse for Awana. It says, show yourself to be approved of God, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent, he says, be diligent to show yourselves, to spend the time in the word that we know the word so well that we can defend it against what we know to be untrue. Friends, the things that we value in life, we will go to great lengths to guard and defend. We bear a tremendous responsibility. Guard the treasure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at your word here. We thank you for what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and to us. Lord, his focus in these imperatives hits right here. It hits home. Because we know that the culture is seeking to undermine your word. They're coming to our door to tell us uh, false things. But God, you've given us an enormous ability here to own the Word of God, to have ongoing teaching here, to be exposed to Bible studies and training here at this church and on this corner. But God, would we take advantage of that so that we as men and women would understand that we are to retain these standards, the patterns, the blueprints that you intended by your Word. And then we would be willing to defend what we know to be true. This is your treasure, God. You, you explain in your word what it is. It's your treasure. We want to honor you with our lives by being equipped and willing to do that. And I pray, Lord, if there's any here who don't know you, that they would be convicted in their hearts. The Holy Spirit would work externally in their hearts to eventually take up residence in their hearts. Lord, that you would convict them of their sin and they would indeed surrender. We pray for that this morning. We want to honor you, Lord. So thanks for how you're working in our lives. And we look for the power of the Holy Spirit to equip us and help us to guard that treasure. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to Emmanuel. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.